1: These days in the baseball hot stove landscape, you got to be a bulldog when it comes to chasing
2: news. Oh, nice. Chris Very nice segue there. Very nice. Got to do it. And uh, we are pleased to welcome in one of the baseball experts out there that I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to. I'm sure you do as well on MLB Radio Network, on his show, The uh, Front Office, as well as writing on the athletic. Uh, Jim Bowden, former general manager and now top media person, joins us on inside the clubhouse. Good morning, Jim.
0: Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Matt. How are you guys today?
2: We're, we're doing great. First of all, being the NFL fan that you are and the Dallas Cowboy fan that you are, uh, we need your prediction for the uh, Super Bowl tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so I've got the Patriots 34 to 31. Uh, Tom Brady's the MVP. Uh, I've got the Rams as a better football team, but I'm not betting against Belichick and Brady. They're too smart. They're too good at what they do. I think we're going to see a lot of points scored. I think the biggest question of the game is Todd Gurley's health. I think if Todd Gurley is healthy and he starts going over on all the props, then the Rams could end up winning. But I'm not buying in that he's healthy after what we've seen the last five weeks, so i got the Patriots winning by three. If
1: Tom Brady wins and he now will have two Super Bowl appearances and one win over the age of 40, is he a better athlete over the age of 40 than Nolan Ryan, who led the league in strikeouts four times at a 2.91 ERA at age 44? Or does Brady still have work to do in that regard?
0: Uh, Brady still has some work to do. There's no question. I mean, you know, in terms of football, of course, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And I don't know if we'll ever see a quarterback be able to be this effective over 40 like he is. But what Nolan Ryan did was absolutely ridiculous with that 99-mile-an-hour fastball and curveball over 40. It was just stupid for that many years. So, again, I think Brady could match him or maybe even beat him. We've got to watch the next three or four years to find out.
2: Jim Bowden joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, Jim, when you uh, look at the free agent market and you've been uh, uh, near the top of reporting on uh, offers and what might be out there, what might not be out there, uh, just from your former general manager side and your reporting uh, status right now, your frustration as a baseball fan as to what the marketplace has been about in 2018-2019?
0: Well, you know, you know, it's interesting. Um, first of all, I think the clubs are smarter now than they've ever been, and they're not giving out as many bad contracts as they used to. And they're not giving out multi-year deals from mediocre players, and they're not overpaying mediocre players. So I think from the club's perspective, it's never been better. I think the one area that doesn't make sense to me is when you get a couple of 26-year-old superstars like Harper and Machado. For those two players to only have a handful of teams legitimately make legitimate offers, to me is embarrassing and it's a disgrace. Because there's so many teams that can afford those players, and people can say, Well, no one wants to give 10 years and 30 million a year. Yeah, but those same teams are going to spend 30 million a year on mediocrity. Let's take an example of the Los Angeles Angels right now. They decided they were going to spend 20 million on guys like Trevor Cahill and Matt Harvey, $3.3 million on Jonathan Lucroy. And you look at what they've spent this offseason, it's $34.5 million for mediocre players. Why not put that $30 million a year towards Machado? And then you have Machado, Trout, up in Otani. You've got pieces. Maybe Mike Trout stays because you have Machado. If Trout goes, you've still got Machado up in Otani in the middle of your lineup to build around. So I think it's not only um, – a matter of teams not playing, but you know they, they try to claim that their analytics scaring them away from 8- and 10-year deals, except these same teams are giving 30-year-old players 5-year deals to age 35. So what's the difference if the Dodgers and the Phillies give, give deals to take Andrew McCutcheon and A.J. Pollock to age 35 or whether you bring Harper and Machado there? So I just find it sad for the game right now that those two players literally don't have a bidding war.
2: With a super agent like uh, Scott Boros out there telling not only uh, people in the media and fans, but his own players that you're going to get 10, 12-year deals, Um, how much pressure is on him? And uh, is there still a 10-year, $300 million offer out there for Harper like uh, you reported a few weeks ago?
0: Yeah, I don't know if the Nationals offer is still on the table. I've reached out to them. And I've not gotten a response back. If it's still there, I do know that they had 10 years and well over $300 million on the table, which was not accepted. I know that as a fact, Uh, I don't know if they have another offer at that level. If they do, it's from the Phillies who are not telling people what their offer on the table is, but I would think they're somewhat close to that. I do think Harper uh, is going to get a 10 year deal. I'm not sure Machado is. I think Machado is going to get eight years um when it's all said and done uh but it is fascinating that the market is so bad that both machado and harper took meetings with the padres like i that that is just so ridiculously absurd to me um and yet i give credit to the padres though know, they're looking at this market and they have a roster filled with non-arbitration eligible players they clearly could afford either one of these guys if they wanted to go down that road the revenue says they can um, so I give them credit, and I hope a the, the team like the Padres come out of nowhere and are able to land one of them. I think it would send a loud statement to the rest of the teams. I mean, the one thing we said a year ago, Bruce, and I think we said it on your show, is I was surprised that more teams were not playing on J.D. Martinez. I just didn't understand it. And, and I made the point, and I wrote about this on The Athletic, that I thought J.D. Martinez would end up having – a better year than uh, Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge, which he did. But here's my whole point about that, at least at this point, is that, you know, J.D. Martinez sat out there, and then the Red Sox on February 26th of last year signed him. They won the World Series, and I got to interview him on the field holding up the trophy with champagne coming out of his eyes. And I just can't believe that there's not more teams that want to see that champagne, and more teams that aren't playing on guys like Harper and Machado. To me, it's just it's embarrassing, it's a, and it's a disgrace because they're difference-making players. And I hope whoever signs them gets to celebrate like JD did uh, next October.
1: It's it's really quite something. Jim Bowden with us here on six seventy the score. So, it, are the White Sox being used? At all. I I get that question a lot from Sox fans in this town or sometimes Sox haters saying so in this town that they're just being used as uh, as the Chicago leverage while Manny Machado looks for more. Or does Manny Machado have legitimate interest in playing here?
0: No, I think he has legitimate interest in playing there, but I, I don't think it's choice number one, two or three. Um, but, you know, the White Sox have been very aggressive towards him. And I think that matters to him. He's got a brother in law there. He's got some friends there. Uh, I think the White Sox have done a good job. But the White Sox also haven't stepped up and said, okay, here's an offer to blow your way. Uh, we're, we're getting you. They haven't done that. They put a solid offer on the table and said, okay, we'll wait to come back to see if you want to come here. And I think what Manny's got to figure out is A, will there be one owner that wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, let's go get him? and pay them? Or, number two, do you contemplate signing a shorter-term deal and going back on the market? You know, I I would have laughed at it earlier, but if I'm Manny and I don't want to play on a 100-loss team and I don't want to play in that stadium on the south side of Chicago, then why not go sign even a one-year deal? You want to go to the Yankees? Go to a one-year deal, hit 35, drive in 120, and try the market again at 27 years old. I mean, I think whatever offers are on the table right now from the White Sox this year will be there next year. So, you know, why not go back out there for a year? I don't think it's the end of the world. I mean, certainly pillow deals work for Adrian Beltre and Ian Desmond. This certainly would work for Manny Machado if he he decides to go down that road. So I think he's got a lot to think about. You know, when you're in free agency, you really want to sign with a championship team, ideally. And if not, you've got to, you know, do you really want to go and commit to one one rebuilding program. I mean, that's it's a tough decision for these guys to make. I think we all understand it.
2: Jim Bowden of MLB Radio and of The Athletic joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He's mad. I'm Bruce. We're here for you. Every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball, Chicago style. Jim, uh, what can baseball do about the problem that exists with 8 to 10 to 12 teams not competitive on a yearly basis. You had a whole division in the American League Central last year that was sadly a joke, three teams finishing with 95 losses plus. Um, How can that be good for baseball? How can that continue without impacting the game and people's interest in the game where the American League was so predictable last year by June 1st, uh, you knew who was going to the playoffs?
0: Yeah, great, great point, Bruce. I don't have the definitive answer, but I will say this. I was talking to Aaron Boone earlier this week, the manager of the New York Yankees, and he came up with an interesting idea for me. And he said, what about if we took the first-round pick? And any team that doesn't make the playoffs, in other words, the 20 teams that don't make the playoffs, uh, you put the ping-pong balls in, and you randomly get to select your, the, the, the first round. And then when you start the second round, it goes, it goes worst record to best record. So at least the rest of the draft, if you're finishing right. at, the, at the bottom of the stage, you get it. But that would prevent teams from tanking. I'm, I'm weighing in means on that. Team like, uh, that means like a team like Tampa Bay with 90 wins, right, could mm-hmm. end up with the first overall pick. So the incentive of tanking would completely be gone. It's called the lottery
2: and it's in the NBA. You know, it's, right. a, it's a different form of it, but nonetheless, still the same. And uh, it, Aaron's point and your point, Jim, is that you're not encouraging losing as a uh, getting the, the benefit of the best players out there in the amateur draft.
0: Right. In other words, the only reason you tank is you want the top five picks because that's where Correa and Chris Bryan and Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg and Manny Machado, that's where they all come from. Well,
1: it's the not, it's not the only reason, though, Jim. Right? Because you want to—if you can go three years without prioritizing winning on the major league level, then you can save all a uh, whole pile of money that theoretically you can then reinvest when it's time to invest.
0: Um, that's partially it. But the reason teams are tanking is because that's what's worked in winning championships, and it's getting the top picks that worked—that worked for the Cubs, it worked for the Astros, it worked for the
3: Nationals—and
0: mm-hmm. and so that's you know there's enough money in this industry. Sure, you can save some money and you can put some aside, but trust me, there's enough money for all of these teams to sit there and be, you know, remember the system that's in place now. You put a drag on the top payroll teams because nobody wants to go over the luxury tax. No one wants those picks to be moved back 10 spots. So last year, only two teams paid the tax, only the Red Sox and Nationals. Yankees didn't do it. Dodgers didn't do it. Angels didn't do it. And by the way, none of them are going to do it this year. They're not going over and and so this drag has worked. You basically have a hard cap that's called the soft
4: cap. Right. Well, that,
0: that's really what you have. So what you need to do is the teams at the bottom, I'm telling you, we tanked purposely in Washington to get Harper and Strasburg. It worked. And now right. look at the team. I mean, it absolutely worked. And so that's why everyone else is now trying to follow suit here. But if you took that incentive away – then I'm telling you, if I can't get, if I can't be guaranteed that top five pick, or I have just as good a chance. If I win 90 games, and if I win 60, then you've taken that away. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight to be more competitive. You think Baltimore isn't gonna lose 110 to make sure they get the first pick the next two or three years? Of course, that's what Mike Elias did in Houston. That's what he's gonna do in Baltimore. But if he wasn't guaranteed that pick, I promise you they would have been a lot more active and you wouldn't be sitting there with 100 free agents on the market right
1: now. What if you also added, uh, 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 Jim, a a, a a bottom, a salary floor it, it, in, in, in the sense of, all right, this portion of revenue has to be spent on payroll?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think you can do that. What you need to do if you're going to do it, though, you've got to do it over a three-year period or in other words, you've got to spend X amount over three years because you've got to allow teams, when the cycle to get younger or when your prospects come up, you need, you need to be able to benefit those teams. So you need to let me take a player until the third year of arbitration. So So I'm all for the floor. I think you need to do the floor, especially for two or three teams that refuse to spend anyway. But you've got to do the floor over, okay, over the next three years, you have to have a total of this over that period so that if you want to spend nothing for two years, that's okay. But that third year, you got to make up for it. So give the teams the chance to deal with the cycle until players are arbitration eligible.
2: Jim, in closing with you, i got the last one for you here, and that is uh, handicap the National League Central. Uh, we, we saw movement by the Reds, certainly a lot of movement there. Some of it peripheral, some of it looks good. You have the Cardinals making a couple big moves. Uh, the rest of the division has been uh, pretty silent. How do you look at it going into spring training?
0: If everybody is healthy from top to bottom, uh, I'm, I'm probably Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates, Reds. And as much improvement as the Pirates and Reds have made, I don't think they've caught the other three. And I think the other three teams, anything can happen. You know, when I look at the Cubs, it's like, where was Contreras last year? Bryant was hurt. Rizzo wasn't Rizzo the starting rotation, You know, is Darvish going to come back and be healthy? I mean, all of those things have to be answered positively. But if I had to pick and say, okay, all these teams are healthy, you can have any of these teams, I'm still taking the Cubs.
2: Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, Jim, keep up the great work. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I certainly enjoy all of your work on um, on MLB Radio and uh, The Athletic. Keep it up, and uh, thanks for joining Matt and I on Inside the Clubhouse today.
0: Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Matt, for having me.
2: All right. Jim Bowden of uh, MLB Radio and The Athletic does a great job. Doesn't pull any punches, has great sources, and uh, always a valued guest on our show.
1: So, you think, so Manny Machado not wanting the White Sox as destination one, two, or three? Is, is, interesting. is that what you got out of it? That was his direct response. He said it's not well, choice you know, one, two, or three, well, the but, point it, is one, but the two, money's there. One right and now.
2: two uh, really aren't bidding.
1: Yep, they never showed up. Right. I don't think he signs a one-year deal. I don't think Manny Machado goes down that road no. because next year, Nolan Arenado is in the fray. But, there is, uh, there's a lot sign, of free agents next year.
2: But he signed somebody with a uh, deal like J.D. Martinez where – after three years, you're free to go. You've made $75 million up front.
1: I've assumed that's going to be in whatever contract right. he signs. Yeah, I, I don't know.
2: I, right now, from what I understand, the White Sox deal doesn't have that type of flexibility. Really?
1: So their 8 seventy five or 8 two ten, depending on the incentives, does not have an opt-out
2: after three? I don't think so. They're not interested in that. They're, they're interested, I believe, in this young man being a part of uh, their uh, building and rebuild and successful run at a championship over six or seven years
1: well that's interesting because uh, I, i've assumed that it, that's yet another hammer that owners are using on players in this particular offseason if they're not going to offer that opt-out that's been present in a lot of these big deals over the last couple of years
2: yeah i mean you know the the op the choice is do you want to come here and play with our team we're offering you 30 million dollars a year but we want you this, here but uh We want you to be a dedicated guy because the other part is a distraction, Matt. Okay, years two and three. Okay, uh, you know what? I'm going for my numbers this year. I'm protecting my body because I'm going to be a free agent again. That's not what you want. Well— Dexter Fowler
1: did it. Dexter Fowler did Harper it. Harper did
2: it last year on defense.
1: Uh, what protecting his body? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean Fowler signed that one year deal with the Cubs to then go out and, and rehit the market, and he cashed in with the Cardinals. Hasn't right. worked out. But, but he did you cash want in. your
2: guy to be pulling back to move forward somewhere else.
1: That, is, uh, that can be a concern. It's 670 The Score. Phone lines are open, and now you're dialing them up, and that's good. 312-644-6767. 670 11 via text, and we will address that uh, that Cubs-Harper rumor that hit the Internet yesterday. It is 670 The Score inside the clubhouse. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It's inside the clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine Matt Spiegel. Evan Altman over at CubsInsider.com. Wrote it up very nicely, and I retweeted the link a little while ago, Bruce. Um, there is a guy who has a good friend who works in the Milwaukee front office. Uh, who he says, can get you
2: a deal on brats? Uh,
1: n- I'm unaware of any potential brat deal. Okay. But he, his friend had told him that Harper met with the Cubs yesterday. That would be Friday. That Harper met with the Cubs yesterday, and likely he has an offer from another team. No idea if the Cubs will match or if they're in on Harper. And Evan wrote it up. As kind of dovetailing with the broader themes of the offseason, which included Theo Epstein saying supposedly to Bryce Harper and Scott Boris, let's circle back and make sure we talk at the end of your tour and see where you are with all your contracts. So it dovetails with that part thematically.
2: Where do you think the $300 million fell out of what tree uh, around uh, Wrigleyville for Epstein and Hoyer to... Uh, Make a deal with uh, Bryce Harper.
1: I do not think that there yeah. is any percent chance that Bryce Harper signs with the Cubs. So I think that it is, it, it is hopeful to a delusional level to, no. to kind of have it out there. But in the proper context, could they have talked to him and, and met with him? It's yeah. conceivable. I mean,
2: it, it's conceivable. But uh, from a physical standpoint of meeting, uh, Theo Epstein yesterday was in Boston.
1: Correct. He's in Boston okay. for the Hot Stove. Jen cool Hoyer
2: music. was in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's a 20-minute plane ride, a half-hour plane ride from Arizona to Las Vegas if they wanted to meet there. So that's plausible. Um, you know, it all could have been done by, uh, you know, on the telephone easily. So I don't discount these things. Uh, in in the day of social media that we have right now, it's, you know, we, we should put a couple minutes of reporting there on Twitter uh, whether it has any credibility or not, you know, it's out there. People want to know, want to consume mm-hmm. what's being out there. Uh, misinformation has been uh, just as big a part of, re- of reporting over the last five or seven years as real information. So fake news, as our president puts it, uh, is prevalent and talked about at great length, um, in uh, particularly in sports where – uh, people's lives aren't really on the line on a daily basis. well,
1: if you want to broaden the discussion to such things, Bruce, I would blame the the decay of discourse and and journalistic credibility on sports. I would go ahead and take that hit. the decay of our uh the, you know not not me necessarily but other talk show hosts who are who are meaner and worse at it
2: uh you know there's a lot of time to <laughs> fill on radio stations. You uh-huh. know? there are, there are there are four hour shifts right. there's three hour shifts, two hour shifts. Uh-huh. Um, Where do you
1: think Tucker Carlson learned to to beat a dead horse and and be a jackass and just, you know, make yourself interesting? Probably used to listen to Bors and Bernstein back in the day is what I'm saying.
2: Um, Matt Spiegel, on that, uh, <laughs> let's let's be clear. Oh,
1: I have long thoughts, long thoughts. Uh, but anyway, so look, it, it's conceivable that they could have talked yesterday or even met yesterday. I just think there's there's, there's no chance of uh, of Boris um, coming here. It is six. I mean, sir, excuse me, Harper coming here. at six seventy. The score. Let's go to Mike in Worth on the score. Mike, you're on with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel.
4: Ooh, that's great, man. I'll tell you, I love you guys. You know, uh, really, really must. Listen radio every Saturday morning, uh, first time caller. Thank right.
2: you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, and a couple you have, things a, you you have a career in radio as well, I believe. <laughs> um,
4: there's a couple things I'd like to bring up, you know, real quickly, because I know you guys got other callers. But, you know, as far as Bryce and Manny goes, would you want Manny? Uh, do you think uh, Manny's better than Javi Baez? Manny and
1: You know remember that Lestella led the majors by far in pinch hit at bats and played appearances as well as as pinch hits.
2: He was your quintessential 25th man. Uh, a, a functioning uh 25 man roster all the way through including a guy that could get you a big hit in late innings to help you set up or win a ball game. But that not was, good, not good that enough was, defensively to No to, no, but but he was a Joe Madden piece, okay? Joe Madden went to bat for him uh, years ago, when he took his when he was uh, sent out to the minor leagues in 2016, and um, decided he wanted to not report, Joe Madden uh, took up for him with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, and said, "Let's see this guy through it because he has one element that can help us win a World Series, and that is I can put him in a big game." in the world series in the eighth or ninth inning and get us a hit to either win or get the tying run on base. Um, and his career kind of played out that way with the Cubs. He was a, an important guy with pinch hits, but Discalso is a, a better all around player. And he can pinch hit and go in and play a defensive position mm-hmm. without you worrying about how that position is manned.
1: Discalso can play all over the infield and can play a little left field right. if necessary as right. well. Right. And, uh, it, you know, and Discalso just had an offensive uh, breakout of sorts uh, this past year. Changes changed uh, swing.
2: Changes swing. He's mm-hmm. a. More of a uh, lift swing guy now, you know. So he's going to probably hit more home runs and hit for less average if he keeps it that way.
1: As far as Machado and Baez, I think you know. Go ahead, and have them both if you want. Who's better? Machado is has had production over the first five years of his career, like very, very few players in in, in the history of the game. He's in a, he's in rarefied air in terms of consistent production over these first four or five years. Who Baez I, just broke who out. Who would
2: I take right now? I would take Baez if it was if it was, you know. Projecting the career from this point on, both twenty six, right? Mm-hmm. Projecting what the player is, both on offense and defense. I would, uh, I would take Machado. I mean, I would take Baez, even though Machado at Boy. third base is a. A potential Gold Glover at third base.
1: Baez is uh, is is elite defensive quality at shortstop and second base. There,
2: there's an energy the, energy there is. issue. There, well,
1: there. You, there, there's there's the, and there's a spirit issue and a personality issue of Baez, yeah. which is magic, not right. just for fans and, but and for that's teammates not the, too. it's not
2: demeaning Machado. It's just that the upside of Baez, uh, there is uh, just so much kinetic energy involved that I would. I would have a hard time not projecting that he continues to have outstanding years offensively, defensively, on the bases – Helping his team uh, win ball games every day.
1: Hmm. Um, I, I boy, Machado seems awfully bankable offensively for lots and lots of years. Whereas Javi's on base percentage, different spirit. I I know, and different different kind of player. Uh, not
2: not, not saying you bankable offense. Not not saying you wouldn't want to eat both of them on your team. You yeah. would.
1: This is John and Rolling Meadows on the score. Hello, John. How are
4: you? Hey. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Very good. Great. You know. Being a huge White Sox fan as I am, um, picking up Alonzo and Jay. I could see him picking up Jay because he's a pretty solid ball player defensively and team leader in the clubhouse. Um, Alonzo, I was scratching my head over a little bit. But this thing with Manny, I I don't know. I I didn't like what he said during the playoffs about not being a hustler. That's not my game. You know, I, I... why don't the White Sox, if if they're really going after this guy, why don't they in, in the meantime go out and pick up a uh, like a a number two or a number three pitcher that can help the young the younger pitchers and show them the ropes and and things instead of just sitting on their hands and doing nothing. Well, I they mean, signed uh,
2: Ivan Nova, and uh, he's he's not going to be a one or a two, but he's going to gonna help solidify their pitching staff as a veteran and bring some of those things that James Shields brought uh, nonetheless um, hopefully with a little bit more than uh, not giving up those crooked numbers uh, at the end of the games like James did. but James Shields uh, gave almost 200 innings uh, last year. I think he did give 200 innings, one of 13 pitchers to do that last year. so um, I, I agree with you you know that pitchings where it's at. Uh, they just have so many slots open, Matt, as far as young guys coming up to fill them. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting to see Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning at some point this year. Or so. Uh, pitching seems to be a strength in their minor league system.
1: You think they're done in terms of uh, adding a possible innings eater like they had Melge- Miguel, well, they're, they're Miguel not, Gonzalez doing that yeah, job over the
2: past couple? I of years? I mean, I don't think they're going after Gio.
1: Gio Gonzalez, no. Clay Buckholz at thirty-four, rebuilt I, his career. Not a, not 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 a. I've, I've heard some stuff about Clay Buckholtz and the possible um, mental limitations of his game, but he certainly broke through a little bit. This I, I year. think
2: there's a chance they sign another starting pitcher, but. Right now, I think that their are priorities to keeping those spots open for their young pitchers and mm-hmm. letting Nova and uh, hopefully a healthy Carlos Rodon for a whole season lead the way.
1: Giovanni Gallardo sitting out there at 33-2. Okay. There's a bunch of guys like yeah. that. If you want some, you can get them.
2: Guys, you got guys.
1: 670, the score is where you are. We'll take a break and come back and continue the conversation. You want to dial it in, do it. 312-644-6767 is the number. 670-11 via text to get in on Inside the Clubhouse. It's inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Bruce, um, Andrew Simon on MLB.com back in November took a look at players since World War II who had generated between 20 and 40 wins above replacement through their age 25 seasons and then had seen at least 10 years pass since then. So what he came up with... Sure, had Say that
2: last part again.
1: Uh, 43 players who had generated between 20 and 40 wins above replacement mm-hmm. through their age 25 seasons, like Manny Machado um, and Bryce Harper. So
2: in order to do that, you have to start at 19.
1: 19 or 20. Right. Yeah, usually. And uh, and then had played 10 years. So was trying to look at uh, what mm-hmm. do the next 10 years look like for guys who are that good from, before age 25. And he excluded a couple guys who were even better than Harper and uh, Harper and Machado excluded Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, Alex Rodriguez, and he left out a handful who were too young to have completed the ten-year period and, ha- and haven't done it yet. But of this group most of them did pay off over the course of the next 10 years. Okay. It's for very example. Willie Mays. Okay. Barry the, Bonds, Hank Aaron,
2: three, three of the greatest players that ever played. Uh-huh.
1: Ricky Henderson, Carl and Yastrzemski, four. Frank right. Robinson, right. Eddie Matthews, mm-hmm. George Brett, Albert Puholtz, Still fifty one point eight. Wait a minute, Albert for the, Pujols for the next ten years after he was twenty five.
2: I know, but you, you're going to have five years of no production.
1: Well, that that's him specifically. Ten year contract. But we're looking at a bigger sample here. Cal Ripken Jr. is right next to Albert Pujols in terms of what value he gave you from age twenty five to thirty five. He had
2: four pretty unproductive seasons at the end of his career. Yes,
1: he did. Um, Miguel Cabrera forty eight point five. He, he's wore. got
2: five years left mm-hmm. on a contract, so. I, so I, I, I see what you're saying yeah
1: no but that's but, but, but that does, doesn't
2: w- equate to contracts.
1: Well, when Cabrera signed that contract, that eight year contract, he was older than 26 though. So I'm talking about the years between 26 and and 35. Scott Rowland, Eddie Murray, Reggie Jackson, Al Kaline, Gary Carter. But, but Matt, what is your what's your point? My point is that of, of these 43, there's really just about mm, eight or nine who you'd really regret having banked on for the next decade.
2: There's of the 43 who have been as
1: good as Manny Machado or
2: Bryce Harper. Yeah, but you're talking about from about the beginning, from 19 all the way through. You're not talking about 26, no. 10 years back. No, uh, I'm talking. That
1: I'm talking about the ten years between age 26 to age okay. 35.
2: But Cabrera is not an example of that.
1: Well, sure he is. Between age 26 and age 35, this is how good he was: 48.5 WAR. You're, but you're not. You're, you're I'm not, not talking about the current contract you're, that Cabrera yeah, you're not, is on. You're
2: not. You're not looking at pool holes in Cabrera now. Uh,
1: uh, no, I'm not. Well, but,
2: but they're going to have to eat four and five years of these yeah, contracts. But, but, but
1: Bruce, just at least try to hear what I'm saying. I, I, am,
2: I do hear. No, I, you're I, not
1: because you're changing it to Cabrera and Poualtz now in the the contract. You I'm mentioned not talking them about as that. two of
2: their guys. Be,
1: from their age, 26 to 35 I, years. Not where they are now. Joe Torre, Dick Allen. Ted Simmons, Orlando Cepeda, Andrew Jones, Nomar Garcia-Para, Jose Canseco. There's some bad ones in here, too. David Wright was a disaster. Jose Reyes was a disaster. Um, And, you know, there's there's some bad ones. But the point is, of those 43 comps, about 35 of them, you'd be totally okay with their next decade.
2: I guess. But, I mean, you, you know, some of those guys, you have to look at the... End of their career and how it ended up. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I don't, I don't
1: 35 think... isn't the end of their career. Age 35 is not the end of it their career. It is now. Well, you could argue that, yes, yeah, that it, it is now. So my Royce point is, is.
2: You, you named some of the greatest players in history of the game over the last 140 years. Okay? Mm-hmm. A very small sample size, right?
1: Yeah, but Harper and Machado fit into that sample.
2: But but you're not you're not convincing me that Harper and Machado won't be Cabrera and won't be Pujols at the end of that ten-year contract.
1: Well, I'm telling you that if they give you the production that Pujols and Cabrera gave you between age 26 and age 35, you'd be okay with it.
2: Yeah, but again, I I, I understand your point, and it's an interesting concept that you bring up, and it's it's good work on your point bringing it out. But I'm not, I don't feel any better about these guys being that good from 33, 34, 35. Uh, into a 10-year deal
1: no uh from that point on i agree but in from age 26 to 35 i, 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 f- know, I feel pretty you good. you know about the
2: difference it. now matt is that people aren't willing to have contracts that uh they they consider unproductive and high paying at the end
1: no i, I understand but I, I i'm not interested in giving those guys deals after they're 35 but up to their 35 uh, history says it'd be okay this is bob in northbrook on 670 the score is it northbrook bob still don't agree it with is me. how are you Matt? we're good bobby how are you
3: I'm doing fine under the category of nothing is ever as easy as it seems. Have either of you talked about the cost of insuring baseball contracts?
2: Uh, have we talked about it, or do we know about it? Either. No.
1: Insuring okay. baseball contracts from the ownership perspective.
2: Yeah, many contracts Correct. are insured.
3: So when you had a previous guest on, and he talked about, wouldn't you rather have uh, J.D. Martinez and his $30 million than $30 million of other ballplayers? A 10 year, $300 million contract is going to be very expensive to insure. Very one year, so. $6 million, you're probably not even going to insure that contract.
2: That's correct.
3: So a real general manager has to make a decision. How much of my resources do I want to spend on players versus spending on insurance? Uh, one of the great things about the, the, putting it in Chicago baseball terms, the Quintana, the Chris Sale contracts. Is because they had player options, I mean, uh, team options, not only were the costs of the contracts lower, but the cost of insurance was lower. So those were very, very valuable to as a trade commodity. And from my understanding of baseball contracts, anytime you can get the insurance is when you first sign the player. There's no team that's going to sign a guy for three hundred million dollars and not put insurance on him because he becomes untradeable. You know what's interesting no team's about that? Take that risk. You know what's interesting about that? Most, Bob most of is, those
2: contracts are uh, with with very little tradeability in them to begin with for the first well, five it, to seven it, years. It,
3: well, you well take a look at the Chris Sale contract or the Cantana contract. Those were tradable. I know, I know but there was a much lower
2: rate. You know, much... so Now
3: you're adding cost, non-tradable, and if you put an opt-out in there, you're still going to pay the full cost of a 10-year, $300 million contract and only have that player potentially for three or four years. None of the delay in this, this signing has surprised me because the longer you go, the higher the price, right. the more expensive of non-baseball dollars you're going to spend and everything is waiting on these two guys, so all those other players, a whole lot of them, are sitting waiting for them to get these long-term contracts, and it's not as simple as just give them the $300 million because their $30 million is more valuable than six guys making $5 million.
1: Hey, Bob, it's way more expensive. There's been a report about something possibly in the Machado White Sox offer called a swell opt or a, where the White Sox would have the option to opt in to the final few years of Manny Machado's contract and if they don't, then the player has the opportunity to opt out. It's complicated but a little funky but I wonder if that fits for their kind of insurance and other costs advantage in the way that you're talking about?
3: Um, No, I don't think that's an insurance question because it's always been uh, interesting to see how the Sox can go after Machado because most players want those opt-outs. However, for the Sox, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to give a player that's going to opt out after three years because in three years is when they really want them. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to do something that the Sox can say, okay, well, things are going well. Now we need you to stay. Right, because next year is not the key year for the Sox. It's year, two, three, four, five, uh, which is you know interesting to watch to see how how do you bridge that gap for players that want it. I just I heard the previous guest say, oh, which would you rather have? And i and and I don't think you're comparing yeah. apples apples to apples. Thanks, Bob.
2: Okay. Insurance is much. one issue. Uh, diminishing returns on a guy who can't perform to a top level anymore is quite another. You can't collect insurance on that. When Albert Pujols is dragging himself out there on one foot and hitting mm-hmm. two thirty, uh, it doesn't it doesn't apply. I mean, it's a good point that he brings up that insurance is a part of some of these big contracts, it has to be figured in in the cost. But the the reality is is that uh, as, as these guys that get worse as they go on into their thirties. There's no guarantee that they're going to stop playing and you're going to have to continue to pay them for poor performance.
1: You you had said earlier in the show that you heard there was no opt out for Manny uh, in the White Sox offer. But how about the the one that I that I described that I think Andy Martino had reported that there was the White Sox could opt in to extend the contract. After three years, and if they don't opt to do that, then there is an opportunity for Manny sounds, to opt sounds out. Sounds
2: like a team option. What's the difference between that and a team option?
1: Because if they don't do it, it kicks. It becomes a player option. So it's an interesting way of structuring
2: it. Right. Yeah. So, I, I, conceivable? That's, that's probably a possibility. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's take one more before we have to fade out here. This is
1: uh, Pat in Westchester on the score. Hello, Pat.
0: Hey, hey Matt and uh, Bruce. Great show, of course. Thank you. Uh, I got two quick questions. Uh, if the Phillies don't pick up the top two free agent uh, players, do you think they're saving their money for Mike Trout when his contract's up with the Angels? Because I know he's a big Philadelphia Eagle fan and he likes Phillies. Uh, and then the second question is the catcher on the Phillies, uh, JT Remmel.
3: Is do you uh, think the, the Reds,
0: the Padres, have a chance to get him, or who's yeah. gonna? There's the there are three or four
2: teams out there. They're, he's on the Marlins. And there's yeah, three or four teams out there.
1: Yeah. Thanks for your call. Um, Padres very hot for Real Muto yeah. lately, among others. The first part,
2: you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say on
1: I, that. I think, I think they might have the money Phillies for Trout No Are not going to
2: wait two years to try to compete. That's all I can say. People to thank today: Jim Bowden from MLB Radio and the Athletic, um, Megan uh, Montemuro from uh, the Athletic joined us. Uh, we thank Zach Withers for a job well done every week. People can follow me on MLB, Bruce Levine, on Twitter, on our website, 670thescore.com, writing previews uh, this week on White Sox and Cubs spring training.
1: Ah, uh, there we go, because we're just a few days, about 10 days away from reporting. Absolutely. I'll see you next week. All right. Bruce Levine is out the door. I'll stick around with Steve Rosenblum next on 670thescore.